Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people and direct to consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So we're back. <laughs> we're a little late, but we're back. This is series one of 2022, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with a select group of brands from across the DTC ecosystem to unpack how they're navigating what is turning out to be a pretty interesting and challenging consumer landscape. Before we get into it, I got a question for you. If you're buying something online, do you check the reviews? Of course you do. We all do. But what if the reviews are fake? That's exactly what happened to Tom Target in 2011 when he bought a camera based on shoddy reviews. He got stitched up with a bad product, so decided to do something about it. Launching Yotpo, our exclusive partner for this series. Yotpo makes it easy to get verified reviews from your customers and then display it on your e-commerce site and in your marketing, like social media ads. 10 reviews can uplift conversion by 53%, but 100 can more than double that. Yeah, that's big numbers. So if you're in e-commerce and want more customers, check out yotpo.com. That's yotpo.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, folks, welcome to the pod. On this episode, I'm speaking with Thomas robson Canu, athlete, entrepreneur, and founder of The Tumic Company. We're going to touch on the origins of the brand, celebrity ambassadors, the current macro environment, Web3, and a whole bunch more. Thomas, welcome to the podcast. How are you, mate? And where are you? Yeah, thank you very much, Tim. Pleasure to be on here. Um, I'm really good, thank you. Uh, currently just uh, in my home office uh, in uh, London. Nice. So, uh, yeah, it's a uh, Monday morning, uh, a busy, busy, uh, busy period, always a busy time of the week. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to catching up with you and uh, uh, managed to get some spare time for us to do this. Yeah, lovely. And I'm, I'm curious, was it a home office prior to the pandemic or was this a, a pandemic conversion? Um, yeah, a bit, a bit of mixture of both, to be fair. Um, I think everyone's, everyone's working routine is very different um nowadays and i think ultimately you know that hybrid model is is something that's gonna maintain in most business operations uh, apart from if you are working at tesla (laughs) yeah or jp morgan maybe yeah exactly um so i'm curious i'm always like interested in sort of like rewinding the clock a little bit because i think that's a good place to start so i'm keen to understand like how did some of the kind of like injuries you had led to you starting a health company can you give me a little bit of insight there yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's it's quite a wild story, really, because essentially, um, you know, through through the adversity that I faced as a young professional athlete trying to carve away in, in, in my career, um, having experienced severe setbacks in the form of surgeries on my knee, and then subsequently suffering with severe inflammation and swelling uh, in my knee and obviously in my joints, uh, which standard medication and prescription drugs, you know, was having adverse effects to my body, um, meant that I had to go down the route of natural, <clears throat> holistic um, solutions in the form of foods. And uh, it was uh, a fascinating time because after two and a half years of not being able to play football from the ages of 15 to 17, uh, raw turmeric roots. Uh, in in the form of obviously what is now our shots, but in this sort of golden elixir blend, packed full of other high quality raw natural ingredients such as watermelon, pomegranate, ginger, pineapple, um, effectively saved my career. And after using this product, which my dad actually created, you know, from from scratch after we did research and looked into it, you know, what could actually help me recover in a natural way. Um, 
after using it after you know sort of six to, to eight weeks uh, my symptoms basically subsided and I began being able to get back into playing regular football training and went from strength to strength so you know sort of a year after I began playing football again I made my first team debut a year after that I made my uh, international debut and a year after that I made my Premier League debut and subsequently used this range of turmeric shots this homemade blend of turmeric shots as my secret weapon throughout my whole career and it allowed me to you know sort of recover quicker you know not get run down as easily um over a consistent period of time and I began noticing you know that that I was generally healthier than a lot of my teammates whether it was in flu season or if we'd just gone through you know an intense period I'd you know sort of snap back and um I began sharing it with my teammates. We began sharing it with friends and family if they had sort of aches and pains mm-hmm. and sort of various different ailments. And the feedback was generally consistent in that it completely changed their lives too. So we were like, okay, you know, great. Like obviously the power of natural nutrition, it's been around. And that's what we, you know, civilizations ago, that's all we had. You know, it was, the, it was uh, our nutrition, our medicine was from the food, you know, the famous Socrates quote, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not, it's nothing new. Um, it was just, you know, sort of winding back, back the, the, the years and, and bringing a functional uh, natural solution in a convenient. And I think that's the key point in a convenient format, but also a high quality format into people's lives. And so it was in 2016 where I was in a retail store in London and I saw a, 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 what was labelled a turmeric shot on the shelf. And um, I was still playing at the time and my dad was at this point in time probably making around 100 of these little shots sort of every week or every other week, which I would take my friends with colleagues and teammates and friends and family. And so... We'd ruin dozens of blenders with you know, <laughs> stained, you know, stained fingertips, stained utensils, um, and so to see a turmeric shot on the shelf, absolutely delighted. So, when you know, I bought bought a load from from the shelf, took them home to, to my dad's, um, took them directly to my dad's, and we both went to drink them together, and we had to spit it out. We couldn't believe how inferior it was to what we were creating at home, and it was only when we spun the bottle around when we looked at it, and it was made of you know, apple juice as a base, you know, cheap fillers like water, mm-hmm. apple juice, orange mm-hmm. juice. And then it was, you know, turmeric powder and the turmeric content was just so minimal. So it was like, you know, two, three, 5% turmeric content. And so it also wasn't in a bioavailable form. And again, so it was only because of the research that we'd done out of having to, uh, uh, you know, create our product out of necessity you know, so we needed it to work. It wasn't a fad. It wasn't a, you know, jumping on a market trend, which obviously what, what these products were, <clears throat> we needed it to work. It, it had to also come in a bioavailable, meaning an absorbable format, you know, and so in order to do that, it needs to have a specific combination when consumed. And that combination is black pepper, you know, which is piperin extract within black pepper, and then a fat soluble, so like a, you know, fatty oil. So, you know, flax oil or olive oil, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which is obviously, you know, what, what our products contained. And so this product on the shelf just had none of it. It was just, you know, being sold for a ridiculous amount of money, being marketed as a turmeric shot. 
And it was only when we saw that that we looked into the market and we realized that there were a lot more people who were becoming more and more conscious around health and the impact that nutrition has on health. And so obviously these individuals fundamentally weren't actually being serviced. So, you know, they, they were having to deal with products such as this, which were being marketed as a turmeric shot. No, that's just an apple juice shot. You know, no, that's a water shot. That's a, mm -hmm. you know, orange juice shot. It's not functional. There's no value and there's no benefit to it, which again is a core part, part, part of our mission and, and our brand as a turmeric co. You know, it has, you have to have a purpose in anything that you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah, so 2016 realized that there was this massive gap in the market realized there were no products that were fundamentally offering what consumers needed. So we went on a journey. We made a decision to bring our product, which was a homemade recipe, recipe to market. And so we went on a two-year journey on, you know, we had to build everything in terms of the, the infrastructure, the back end. And we went to all of the contract manufacturers in the UK. We spoke with some abroad, the bigger ones in Europe, and none of them would manufacture it for us because they said it was the process was too complex the quality the ingredients were too high quality ingredients <laughs> so the 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 uh, time frame for actually turning around you know managing that stock of you know fresh product fresh yep. produce in manufacture fresh produce out it was just too tight they need frozen apple juice orange juice in at scale in boxes and this is what's all on the the shelves you know yeah even, yeah yeah you know, every, you know, 90% of the uh, packaged uh, uh, ready-to-drink products are from contract manufacturers who are, will produce two competing brands, but in different... Yeah, um, they'll like white label service, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. But you don't, really, you don't realize that, particularly as a consumer. Um, so none of them would touch it because we wanted to bring what we were making at home to, to market in a high-quality functional format. So we had to make the decision of effectively building our own bespoke manufacturing facility. We then had to manage the logistics of handling a chilled, fresh, raw product. Yep. We then had to build a brand, you know, build a messaging around the brand. Yep. Yep. Um, and we realized very early on that although retail has massive volume, and again, you know, for us, retail is ultimately a, a, another step in terms of our journey at some point, um, in order to compete, with these products and these shots, which are already on the shelf, which are full of apple juice, very little functional ingredients, you know, actually low quality, poor ingredients, but offered in a functional beverage format in order to compete with these other products sitting on shelf and having, you know, one and a half seconds of a, a consumer's eye, eyes, eyesight, it would be impossible. So we needed to build education, build awareness and build a relationship and an advocacy of people around yep. our mission and our journey, which is why we, you know, decided to build the the business as a digitally native vertical brand in the initial outset, where we could build that community, but we could engage directly with our consumer base and ultimately build that advocacy to then champion the message of what our product can do um, and how it can change lives um, and. Yeah, so in 2018, we, we launched the Turmeric Co. And yeah, we've, we've pretty much gone from strength to strength um, year on year. Uh, we're, we're now in a position where we're producing, you know, hundreds of thousands of these, you know, small small little shots um, on a monthly basis. And we're, we're looking at how we can really drive 
what we're doing forward and continue to be a pioneer in terms of you know quality standards new product development but also how we can drive awareness through natural nutrition and the impact it has on health in the form of our range um, and that's obviously not only in the uk but internationally as well so we we've got uh, you know big ambitions but as always with every with every uh, business there's lots of challenges the day-to-day <laughs> challenges of, of running a business um, we're, we're not we're no different um, but we're committed as i said to, to really making a positive um, lasting change on people's lives yeah that's so interesting i had no idea about the whole production well i kind of knew that production processes were quite different when you get into the industrial <laughs> manufacturing food complex which like you said a lot of us don't know about probably don't want to know about because <laughs> it would scare us too much um so I, i'm curious though so during that time you were still a professional athlete so how were you managing that like was it that you were kind of dipping in and out to the brand or was that a constant thing and kind of how has that kind of changed over between 2016 to 2018 to kind of now like how are you managing that balance yeah, I think uh, obviously I was still playing football during the the period of setting up the business, and we've set the business up as a as a family business, uh, which is really important again to us. Um, so you know we've got individuals who you know are going to work those extra hours, crazy hours, and are just committed to to the journey. I think that's a massive part of it as well. Um, but yeah, playing it, it, finding that balance was was quite nice for me because. Within being a professional athlete, there's you know physical demands um, on what you're doing, but actually mentally you're not necessarily stimulated 24 hours a day. So you know there will be two, three hours of intense training where mentally you have to be on the ball. You have to be able to you know replicate, deliver, mm-hmm. you know be be one of the best. You know give your best performance every single day, week in and week out. But then that stops, <clears throat> and actually there's a massive mental gap which you can fulfill in multiple different ways you know you can play you can go play golf you can play video games you know yep. some of my ex-teammates have played video games from when they got home at say three in the afternoon <laughs> till three in the morning Jesus. you know and then would have training the next day so there's lots of different ways you can fill that void so what i just did was i f- focused my energy <clears throat> my mental capacity in terms of building you know building a brand building the yep. business you know, building the team um and yeah certainly paid off and when you look at now we've you know had over 10,000 positive customer reviews of the product ultimately changing people's lives through through nutrition um you know and, and for us we're we're very much just getting started we want to keep keep impacting you know keep delivering that high quality product keep building the awareness and education around you know functional beverages and what they actually should be and what they should look like um and yeah i think that subscription models was ultimately key to that making Mm -hmm. it convenient for um you know uh, potential uh prospects and consumers to to easily uh have a regular um you know supply of, of the range um, and I think that, you know, sort of when you look at this, the, the data around what we're doing, uh, it, it shows that our product is is really sticky and the service that we've delivered is is what our consumers want because, uh, you know, our retention rates are, you know, sort of upwards of 60%, which is just insane. Industry standard is around 20. 
um, our lifetime value is on an incremental upward trajectory uh, month on month. Um, and it's, you know, testament to, to the product and then, but also testament to the service, which is, you know, what, what everyone in the team and the business has, has delivered and continues to work on delivering. Nice. Um, I mean, I'm, that's super interesting about the whole um, direct consumer versus the retail thing. And we might get onto that in, in a sec, but I'd love to understand a little bit more about who are your customers, right? So are they primarily people that are kind of like at that level or maybe towards that level of like superior athlete? Is it a bit more broad than that? Like what does the ideal kind of customer look like to you guys? And how has that kind of changed over time? And is that kind of changing? Yeah, it, right, from from our perspective, when we launched the business, you know, me being in, you know, an athlete, knowing the importance of those fine margins in in sport, you know, anything that can influence, uh, you know, a percentile of a percentage, you know, you will do, you know, let alone re- improve recovery by you know four, five, ten percent, you know, by 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 consuming a, a product consistently over time, but actually, when we launched. Again, we were very much, you know, high performance, um, uh, obviously recovery, uh, active lifestyle. That was very much sort of where we presumed our consumer to be. And we attended a lot of trade shows very early on so we could speak with people and look them, you know, in the eye and understand what, what would their reason be for purchase. And so, you know, moving as we began to progress and we began to, you know, obviously we delivered our subscription model, we began to realize that, you know, sort of a lot of an older demographic was purchasing. Although socially, you know, from a social uh, brand perspective, our social channels, you know, we had lots of engagement from sort of the, you know, 20 to 30 um, year old uh, bracket, but the purchasing consumers who were then, you know, making multiple recurring purchases were, were the older demographic. And so it was only when we did a massive research piece um, of qualitative and quantitative research around our existing customer base, where we essentially interviewed uh, over a thousand of our customers. Um, and it gave us an insane insight. And from that, we were able to pull are the four main reasons why a consumer would purchase our product. Yep. So every single person who purchases our product, we now know that they purchase for one of these four reasons. And then also we then realized, you know, the, the actual age demographic of the segments of customers that we have, you know, and obviously we, we were segmenting by, um, you know, RFM segmentation. So recency, frequency, monetary value, and then creating these segments of customers based on where they sat within that uh, demographic. But that's interesting because you were talking about the sort of like the that model for the consumer kind of like uh, segmentation. And you were seeing, how did that work then? Once you kind of started to get that information, were you feeding that back into like the site and like some of the branding and messaging? Yeah, precisely. So from that, we were able to distinguish that, you know, we we obviously pulled our ideal customer profile from that, you know, very much 45 plus, um, you know, sort of 50, 50 male and female, but the older demo, active lifestyle, um, but active could be walking your dog and then people just looking to enhance their recovery or their um, well-being through natural nutrition. So they maybe had a... Um, experienced pain, experienced you know low immunity, experienced lack of energy, and we're then looking for a natural solution to ultimately you know support that. 
so um so yeah so it was it was massively insightful and from that now we've you know we've obviously taken on and we've created you know tailored customer journeys you know we'll push customers based on their reason for purchase uh, into various flows so that we're communicating to the to the heart of the the, the, the consumer and to the wants of that that, that specific consumer so yeah uh, really really important phase and step and again that has given us massive insight into who our customer is uh, at this moment in time that's super interesting so it definitely begs the question then, because I know, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are experiencing, right? But like uh, acquisition of customers is kind of becoming more and more challenging because of many different reasons, not least um, Facebook ads becoming more and more expensive. But I'm keen to understand like how have you guys either used that kind of like data or how are you just kind of thinking about it? And it's especially interesting because you're a subscription model, which is probably the best retention strategy you can have. <laughs> so like, how do you kind of look at it? Is it that you want to, just stick with the, you know, do you put more effort into the subscription, your retention, your consumers that are already there and really, really drive that value and you don't worry too much about acquisition for the moment? Or is it kind of like a balance and you're sort of looking at one or the other, depending on where you guys are at? Yeah, I think I think every single business is is different and particularly given the current climate that we're in, in terms of, you know, the, the challenges uh, following, you know, the most recent iOS update. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're sort of, we are year on we're yet on from that now so i think i think a lot of businesses should sort of e-commerce businesses should be beginning to understand you know where they actually lie and ultimately it boils down you know regardless down to you know sort of cost of acquisition you know the lifetime value of a customer so you know the first thing that you need to be doing is tracking both of those metrics at an accurate level but then when you then dive into then lifetime value, you know, you need to have a really strong understanding of your margins. You know, are you seeing fluctuations in that, you know, year on year, you know, month on month even, um, but actually giving you a true reflection. And then ultimately, once you begin to understand that, then that gives you your budget in terms of what you want to spend based on, you know, the 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 uh, the the cash flow that the, that customer is going to give to you if mm-hmm. you acquire them. Um, but from our perspective, you know, you if you're not driving your increasing your lifetime value of your customer all of the time, like that has to be, you know, massive north star of anything. Because even if <clears throat> even if cost of acquisition soars, then you know, if you can continue to improve your lifetime value, then you can sort of off-weight the increase in cost of acquisition, which, you know, hopefully a lot of brands will have been able to do and continue to see that rise in lifetime value. If, on the other hand, you know, your lifetime value has been dropping, you know, over this period, then, you know, the squeeze is going to be very, very difficult. Um, but it's this is the product market fit, consumer yeah. Yeah. You, know, t- you know, targeting the right consumers, you know, targeting good consumers, but also again, you know, how you can use other strategies which aren't directly sort of paid media to, to build awareness, to drive acquisition, um, you know, whether it's sort of referral campaigns, loyalty campaigns, yep. like all of these things, you know, there's there's you know, affiliate programs, there's 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 a lot of acquisition methods, but it's finding what works for you making sure you're then tracking the metrics correctly. And then when you see traction in any 
of these activities, just scale it as quickly as possible. Yep. 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 Um, you know, so I think that's sort of the the fundamental sort of the, the principles of what of what we work with and and, and how we sort of um, you know navigated the period of change, which we've all seen from a from an e-commerce landscape, uh, from a paid media e-commerce landscape. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, well, you touched on a, uh, a thing I wanted to chat to you about, and that's kind of some of those like maybe not necessarily organic channels, but one of the things I noticed about you guys, based on your kind of like background, is you. And I don't know how you call them. I don't know if you call them ambassadors or whatever. But you've got sports people kind of in your world, right? Who are like you know advocating for the brand. And I, I'm curious, like, how do you kind of go about that? Like, are you super picky? Do you go out to people? Do they come to you? How does that kind of process work? And I'm I'm intrigued how you kind of look at that versus sort of the st- like more of a influencer type arrangement because it's kind of similar but then i see it as quite different at the same time yeah i think it's um for us it it was um a sort of seamless transition in a sense as i mentioned you know there's a lot of every athlete is looking for sort of fine margins so there was a really strong product market fit from our products in relation to athletes but fundamentally they're not our you know, although obviously, you know, we've got the likes of, say, Liverpool, you know, um, Tottenham, as an yep. example, Crystal Palace, they all purchase from us. So yep. they're purchasing. We're not we're not affiliated with them in any way. They'll yep. purchase the product for their players and for their backroom staff. But the majority of um, our customers are not elite athletes. That makes sense. Yep. So from our perspective, that uh, co- collaborating with sports um, clubs and sports associations is very much a brand awareness play. Yep. So just because you're associated with a club doesn't necessarily that mean that someone will know what your product is and why they're collaborating with you. So yeah. it's very much sort of brand top of funnel awareness. Yep. So it, it's it's got its place, but it's not, it's not going to be converting, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of individuals, but it's planting a seed. And so for us, you know, it, it and for anyone, it's understanding the purpose of purchase for your consumer. And so we know the reason for purchase for our consumers. So our first play was brand awareness play, which is sort of what's been executed, what you will see you know, sort of maybe across socials, yep. the various consumer touch points that we have. And that's sort of been a 24, 36 month campaign. We're now gradually progressing into more of a product awareness phase. Mm-hmm. And that will be slightly different. But what that's going to do is build awareness around why consumers purchase our product or why you would then purchase our product. Yep. And off the back of that, we're then going to be able to drive conversions because we're going to be creating that intent. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, um, it's just understanding the first step is understanding why your consumer purchases your product and then it's creating triggers, awareness, and then triggers, however way you want to do that. If you can, if you can create a trigger in a conversion straight out of the gate, then brilliant, you know, amazing. But normally you have to create a level of a, you know, a funnel and a journey. And that's sort of what we've, been doing and we're sort of mid strategy on this sort of you know sort of two three five year plan so yeah nice interesting and something else i'd noticed it probably feeds into that 
in probably a big way, but I'm keen to explore it is like your approach to kind of sustainability and just thinking a little bit more broadly about the world, right? How do you kind of maintain that? How do you build that in like purpose versus profitability? Is that like a really hard thing to do? And is seems to me like it's a necessary thing for a brand in 2022. So you just got to, you know, take it on. How do you guys sort of manage it? Yeah, I think for, from our perspective, you know, sustainability has always been at a core of what we've done. So it's always influenced the decisions that we've made. Now, you know, that could be down to say, you know, our plastic bottles being, you know, 25% biodegradable, 75% recyclable, recycled plastic. It could be down to, you know, the, the insulation that we use with our box, with our product in the box that goes to the customer's and then offering, as an example, you know, a recycling returns initiative to every single one of our customers. Mm-hmm. So when they receive their product, if they've got previous packaging or the product packaging that they've just received, as well as the bottles, they can give it back to the courier nice. free of charge and it will come back, back directly to us. And what we'll do then is we'll bring back into our supply chain, you know, the liners, the insulation, the ice pack, but then what we're really excited about doing and we're preparing to execute on this over the next you know few months um will be bringing back then the bottles so we're looking at a process where we can clean and then deep sterilize every single one of the return bottles which come back come back to us and we'll put that back into our supply chain and then back into our uh, production process so we'll be creating a full loop or, or cycle as they call it around our product and around our packaging so it's those decisions have always like you can't sort of just pick and cherry you that has to be sort of part of your core and part of your ethos if you're actually going to execute them to the level that we we you know we obviously are executing at because if you're just going to do things to be seen as you know sustainable and you know aligned with sort of um you know eco-friendly initiatives that it will just be, it's not going to have a tangible impact because you're not actually going to be doing anything. So yeah, I think in this day and age, it has to be part of your core as a brand um, and is a really important part of consumer purchasing decisions, the consumer journey, how people feel about consuming or using your product. Um, It's a really uh, integral element as it should be. Um, And, you know, for us, we're, we're very much sort of, at the front end of um you know development and progression in in this in this area uh you know we're 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 fully carbon neutral as a brand you know we've achieved that already and we maintain that consistently um and these are you know massive um uh features which we're 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 delighted about you know which we, we champion and we you know we're extremely proud um, but fundamentally, it's only because it's part of our core from a sustainability perspective. Yeah, that's super interesting. I love the closed loop concept, and I think you guys fit super nicely into it. Um, I've had other people on the podcast where we've talked about the kind of the fashion closed loop. And I think the idea sounds great, but technically, it's quite difficult to sort of bring fashion back down into its constituent parts and then recycle the whole thing. Whereas I think what, what you've got is like fits nicely in, and I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> obviously sterilizing loads of bottles and all of the kind of like regulatory stuff I'm sure you're going to got to go through. But yeah, I think that that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to have that kind of loop going. Um, I'm keen to switch gears slightly. Uh, and I know uh, you're a blockchain advocate. So I'm curious to understand like 
what do you think about that general space? But probably more importantly, like how do you see or do you see its application and maybe it's just Web3 more broadly in like e-commerce? Is that stuff that you guys talk about? Is that stuff that you're more personally interested in? And for the business, you just say, look, I'm going to decouple those things and Turmeric Co, we've got our, you know, we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. We don't want to look at that right now. How are you kind of looking at it? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, sort of my personal views are my personal views on sort of blockchain and being a relatively early advocate within the space, um, seen, you know, fantastic development and progression. Um, but it's fundamentally about the, you know, the technology and then the application of the technology. And I think that's where probably it gets, you know, sort of the hype and gets carried away and, you know, sort of, obviously with, with NFTs now, you know, sort of gone off on a tangent and, you know, it's like, okay, well, of course, if there is, you know, if there is a, piece of digital art which you know is going to be valuable in 10 20 30 40 50 years because it is a one-off piece then you know brilliant but if it's sort of a piece of you know a bit of code which has been you know um you know portrayed as this art piece and <laughs> one-off and actually you know there's no is there tangible value in that yeah yep. um and so Obviously, it's got the potential to very much go off on tangents and get pulled in sort of different directions to create hype and FOMO, um, where you know people can lose, you know, lose a lot of money if they're not, you know, purchasing the correct thing at that correct time, or ultimately if there's no value and intrinsic use and function to that, then mm -hmm. you know, ultimately that's going to be the case. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's sort of my my personal views from a business you know brand perspective yeah you sort of whether or not it depends how quickly you know blockchain and the, the technology and the use of that technology can ultimately um become accepted across society to be used within um you know uh, e-commerce channels by you know whether your grandmother or your you know your teenager <laughs> or whatever it is like that sort of you're just sort of waiting for that that time, um, but until then, obviously, the current payment methods, gateways that that are currently there for, for payment processing, uh, you know, they they they're, they're they're more than sufficient, I would say. Yeah, it's super interesting, right? I feel like there's some cool kind of hardware developmenty stuff going on. So I saw like uh, Solange has like partnered with somebody else to create like a Web three phone, and there was like discussion around like how Apple are gonna look at that application to their iPhones. So yeah, mm -hmm. interesting space, a lot of moving parts. <laughs> um, I'm keen to sort of look forward a little bit. And so what, what's next for you guys? Talk about all the sustainability development, kind of like this new sort of like campaign that's going deeper in terms of like product development and conversion. But, you know, what's on the horizon for you guys? Where, where would you want to be in like 2025? Yeah, I think uh, from our perspective, you know, our, our big focus is so easy to get, you know, sort of caught up and pulled in different directions with so many opportunities. But fundamentally, you know, we want to continue to deliver a high quality product to, to, to consumers' lives. You know, we want to keep educating, keep keep driving awareness. And, you know, if we, if we just focus on doing that, then, you know, consistency over time, we're going to continue to have, a, have, a, have an impact. And, you know, um, I think... As I said, there's there's so many different. You know, I wouldn't know where to begin if we were to run through. You know what what we what we could potentially do in and you know, where we could be. And 
you know, who we could be partnered with and all of these things. But fundamentally, it boils down to the product and to, you know, continue to drive awareness of the product category, awareness of the, the quality and the uniqueness of what we're doing and, you know, increasing the, the awareness and the, the penetration of the brand. And I think that's, you know, fundamentally, a fundamental level, you know, going to be uh, the, the core emphasis and, and the motivation of, of what myself and the team are doing. Nice. Right. This is probably the most important question of the interview. So my sense is you're a pretty healthy dude, but I want to know what are your food guilty pleasures, if you have any? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't mind um, a, a treat and a snack every now and then. I think yeah. it's, it's an important part of, of leading a balanced lifestyle, you know, so it's just uh, it's just when it becomes a staple part of your lifestyle <laughs> is when it becomes an issue. And unfortunately, you know, for the majority of people, like, you know, unhealthy, high-processed foods are a staple part of their diet, yeah. you know, from yeah. what mornings to, to the end. And that's why we live in a world where there's so much disease, you know, that there is today. You know, there's never been more heart disease. There's never been more, um, you know, uh, cancers and all of these various di different types of ailments. And the fundamental element is nutrition. So I think that's a really important part of shifting it. Um, but as I said, you know, everyone, if you're doing it in a balanced way, like snacks an important part, you know, treats are, uh, are nice rewards. But yeah, I, I don't mind. I quite like fizzy, fizzy sweets. So like fizzy, fizzy cola bottles. Like oh, pink, nice. Pink yeah. Blue ones. I think yeah. quite good. Yeah. Very good. So they're a, they're, a, they're a guilty pleasure of mine, which I, I really like. So Okay, nice. <laughs> right, uh, we've finished on the guilty pleasures. I'm not sure where we can go. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me, mate. That was great. Amazing. Thank you for having me, Tim. There you go. Massive thank you for joining us. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.